Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the One Life Healthcare, One Medical, Third Quarter 2020 Earnings Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during this session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Rose Salisbury, Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, ma'am. Thank you, Operator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Medical Fiscal 2020 Third Quarter Earnings Call. I am joined today by Amir Dan Rubin, Chair and CEO of One Medical, and Bjorn Toller, Chief Financial Officer of One Medical. A complete disclosure of our results can be found in our press release issued earlier today, as well as in our related form 8K, all of which are available on our website at investor.onemedical.com. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded, and a replay will be available on our website. As part of our comments today, we will make forward-looking statements. These statements are based on management's current views, expectations, and assumptions, and are subject to various risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially, and we disclaim any obligation to update any forward-looking statements or outlook. Please refer to the risk factors in our most recent annual report as updated from time to time by our other reports and filings with the SEC, including our quarterly reports. We believe that the COVID-19 pandemic creates particular complexity when it comes to providing a forward-looking view of the business, and we are providing our guidance on a good-faith basis for recent SEC recommendations. We would like to specifically caution investors that our future performance will be harder to predict for the foreseeable future. Our forward-looking statements are based on assumptions that we believe to be reasonable as of today's date, November 10th, 2020. Of note, it is one medical policy to neither reiterate nor adjust the financial guidance provided on today's call unless it is also done through a public disclosure, such as a press release or through the filing of a Form 8K. Today we will discuss certain non-GAAP metrics that we believe aid in the understanding of our financial results. A historical reconciliation to comparable GAAP metrics can be found in today's earnings release. Finally, during the call, we may offer incremental metrics to provide greater insights into the dynamic of our business. These details may be one-time in nature, and we may or may not provide updates in the future. And with that, I shall turn the call over to Amir and Bjorn for their prepared remarks and to take your questions. Welcome, everyone. Today, we are pleased to share results from our fiscal third quarter in 2020. We had an excellent third quarter demonstrating strong financial performance across our key metrics and achieving several notable milestones. With 511,000 members, our membership count in the quarter surpassed the half a million mark. Q3 membership growth accelerated to 29% year over year, with momentum across both consumer and enterprise channels, allowing us to reach our year-end membership guidance a quarter early. We also surpassed $100 million in net revenue for the first time in a single quarter, delivering $102 million in total net revenue in Q3, which grew 46% year-over-year. We delivered a care margin of $42.9 million, or 42% of net revenue, and positive adjusted EBITDA of $3.5 million, or 3% of net revenue. These margin results demonstrate the strong leverage components of our model. Given the strength of our Q3 results and our momentum heading into Q4, we expect to end 2020 with between 530,000 to 540,000 members, and to deliver total full-year 2020 net revenue of $362 million to $367 million, with both members and revenue exceeding our initial expectations at the start of the year. Our momentum and investments in our member-based and technology-powered model further supports our work in transforming healthcare for multiple key stakeholders, including consumers, employers, providers, and health networks. Let us review how our member-centered and technology-powered model supported these stakeholders in Q3. For consumers and employee members, our differentiated primary care model supports longitudinal care and population health, both digitally and in person. As previously shared, we enhanced our model throughout 2020, including through the following approaches. We launched Healthy Together, our COVID-19 screening and testing program. We launched Remote Visits, supporting members with scheduled longer video appointments with their primary care providers. We launched One Medical Now, 
an expansion of our 24 by 7 on-demand synchronous and asynchronous digital health solution to employees located outside of our physical markets. We expanded Mindset by One Medical, our behavioral health service, integrated within primary care. We deepened our on-demand digital health services, including further extending asynchronous care through our app to new prescription requests, sexual health screenings, and care for allergies, among other conditions. And we added more health network partners to advance our clinically and digitally interconnected system of care for our members, further owning the complexity of navigating care across time and setting. Through our enhanced multimodal model of care, we have furthered our reach and impact to delight even more members with our 90-plus net promoter scores. In addition to seeing continued strong member satisfaction with One Medical, employers have also continued to recognize the power of our model to support the well-being and productivity of their employees, reduce health benefits spending, and facilitate workplace reentry during COVID-19. Employers can add our services at any point during the year, as our program fits within existing insurance networks and is not restricted to launching solely in open enrollment periods. We continue to hear enterprise clients share how they love the One Medical Benefit and how we support seamless access to care for employees and dependents. Simultaneously, we also advance employee health outcomes and productivity levels while reducing benefit costs. As you may recall, we have demonstrated total employer savings of 8% plus in a case study. With a seminal study published in JAMA Network Open earlier this year showing 45% in employer cost savings. Accordingly, we see our model applying broadly to clients of all sizes across diverse industries and across economic cycles. During Q3, we began new relationships with clients across education, financial services, entertainment, commerce, media, real estate, biotech, hospitality, and the nonprofit sector, among others. Furthermore, with our Healthy Together COVID-19 program, we are supporting enterprise clients with a clinically-driven approach for employee screening, testing, and medical care. In Q3, Healthy Together also drove additional interest from the educational sector and drove strong engagement in flu vaccination campaigns. Turning to our providers, our model supports delivery of outstanding acute and chronic care, inbound responsive care, and outbound population health, as well as seamless coordination of specialty care with our health network partners. We have continued to see our salary provider model with our streamlined workflows and innovative technology attract even more clinicians to our team. Moreover, our technology platform has been built from the ground up to support outstanding patient care, population health, and care coordination across time, teams, and settings. In Q3, we continue to showcase these strengths. For example, our technology platform and team together with our membership model, enabled us to analytically identify members who needed cancer screenings or chronic disease management follow-up, to digitally offer up personalized care plans to address such gaps in care, and then to engage members to address these care gaps through the modalities of their choosing, in person or remotely, digitally, synchronously, or asynchronously. During Q3, our population health action items included follow-ups on deferred annual exams, chronic condition check-ins, cancer screenings, women's health issues, and immunizations, to name a few. This population health activation contributed, in part, to our strong results while also promoting positive health outcomes and strengthening the value of One Medical membership. As we like to say about our membership model, better health starts here. During the quarter, we also advanced partnerships with more of the nation's top health networks. Our members, employer clients, providers, and partners have benefited from our clinical and digital integrations that facilitate better coordination across primary care, diagnostic, specialty, and acute care settings. At the same time, we have helped reduce administrative burdens and avoid duplicative testing while facilitating in-network access. Our members appreciate our role in navigating the complexity of healthcare referrals, scheduling, authorizations, and the exchange of medical information with our partners. Employers appreciate reduced wait times for employees improved employee productivity levels, and support in addressing employee benefits questions. And for health networks, partnering with One Medical can be a more expeditious, economical, and less risky way to develop coordinated care networks. We are now operating in 12 markets across the United States, up 50% over the last 18 months. Throughout 2020, we have expanded into new markets 
in partnership with both new and existing health network partners. For example, last year we began partnering with Providence St. Joseph Health in Seattle and Los Angeles. And this year, we further expanded our partnership into Portland, Oregon in Q1 and Orange County, California in Q3. We also went live with a new partner in Q3, MedStar Health in Washington, D.C. With that partnership, 100% of our members across our 12 markets are now covered under health network partnerships. Building on our successes in 2020, we have already announced plans to expand into five new markets with health network partners in 2021. Our new markets in 2021 will include Austin, Raleigh-Durham, Milwaukee, Columbus, and Houston. We currently have virtual presence across the nation, and by the end of 2021, we plan to have established physical presence in 17 markets, a 40% increase from our 12 markets today, and more than double the markets from where we were 18 months ago. Our partnerships and market expansions provide long runways for growth, impact, and return as they increase our reach and value proposition to companies and consumers while leveraging our technology and operating infrastructure. In closing, I'd like to share my gratitude to our entire team for their continued efforts in supporting our key stakeholders, consumers, employers, providers, and health networks. Through their perseverance and innovation, we are delivering a better experience and better health outcomes for consumers. We are improving employee well-being and reducing benefit costs for employers. We are creating a more fulfilling work environment for our providers and teams, and we are advancing primary and specialty care coordination in partnership with leading health networks. Through these efforts, we achieved new milestones this quarter, serving more than half a million members and delivering north of $100 million in quarterly revenue, while at the same time advancing margin and profitability. To those following our advancements, we thank you for your continued engagement in our mission to transform healthcare. Now, let me turn the call over to Bjorn, our CFO. Thank you, Amir, and hello to everyone on today's call. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. As Amir notes, we are seeing strong demand in our model of care, which combines in-person and virtual care, and which has proven the flexibility to scale with new service offerings and unprecedented demand by our members for information and care. Our employees, including our in-office and virtual providers, administrative staff, phlebotomists, technologists, and many others, have allowed us to serve more members across more product offerings and through more interactions than ever before. The investments we have made over more than a decade to serve our members, enterprise sponsors, employees, and health networks give us distinct competitive advantages, enabled our strong execution in Q3, and are reflected in our full-year outlook. We reached a key milestone in our membership count and ended the quarter with 511,000 members. We saw accelerated growth quarter over quarter in both consumer and enterprise channels, reaching our year-end membership guidance one quarter early. As Amir mentioned, a key attraction to employers is their ability to turn us on quickly at any point in the year. As a result, we had continued outsized strength this quarter from enterprise adoption, in particular as our customers seek to improve access to digital and in-person health benefits during COVID-19. Please keep in mind that our membership count continues to exclude free community memberships, for example, for frontline workers, any paid short-term enterprise memberships that are less than 12 months, and any virtual-only One Medical Now users, which is a service offering that is available to employers in geographies where we don't have a physical footprint. Turning to revenue, in total, we delivered $101.7 million in net revenue in Q3, up 46% year-over-year. This includes an income grant of $0.2 million related to the Provider Relief Fund established under the CARES Act, which we report as a distinct line item on our P&L. As a reminder, in Q2, 
we received an income grant of $2.4 million related to the provider relief fund. At this point, we cannot predict how much, if any, additional funds we may receive in the future. Our membership revenue in Q3 was $17.3 million, which grew 29% year over year in line with our membership growth. We delivered net patient service revenue of $40.2 million and partnership revenue of $43.9 million. Collectively, net patient service revenue and partnership revenue grew 50% year over year. This revenue performance was driven by our strong membership growth as well as an increase in total billable service volumes. As a reminder, our billable services include, among others, in-office visits, vaccinations, and our newly launched service offerings. As discussed in our last earnings call, COVID-19 initially caused our billable volumes to decline when compared to levels immediately prior to the pandemic. During Q3, we saw a large recovery in our aggregate number of billable services, which for the full quarter exceeded pre-COVID-19 levels. As you heard Amir say earlier, we believe our revenue outperformance was in part driven by our ability to identify gaps in patient care and engage our members to fill these gaps in the way they prefer, in person or remote, synchronous or asynchronous. In addition to this pent-up demand from deferred care earlier in the year, our strong revenue performance was driven in part by higher-than-expected demand for COVID-19 testing, along with an early and strong start of the flu vaccination season. One final item I would like to note on our revenue performance. As discussed on prior calls, over the past year, we've seen an ongoing mix shift of revenue out of the net patient service revenue and into partnership revenue as we have signed up additional health network partners that reimburse us on a per-member, per-month basis. We expect this shift to moderate going forward as all of our members are now covered by health network partnerships. Moving down the P&L, we delivered Q3 care margin of $42.9 million or 42% of net revenue, which represented an increase of $18.3 million over Q2. This was our highest quarterly care margin ever reported and demonstrates the leverage that can be driven from revenue outperformance on our largely fixed cost profile. We were very pleased to deliver strong care margin results, while at the same time making continued investments to fuel our future growth, which included opening our third new market this year, Orange County, in addition to opening additional offices across our existing markets and ongoing preparations to open new markets and offices going forward. We have opened 20 new offices year-to-date in 2020, taking us to 103 total offices across our 12 markets at the end of Q3. Our operating expenses below cost of care and excluding non-cash charges such as depreciation and amortization and stock-based compensation were $39.3 million and were approximately flat to our Q2 spend. As a result of our Q3 revenue tailwinds and expense performance, our Q3 adjusted EBITDA was positive $3.5 million, or 3% of total net revenue. Similar to care margin, this was our highest adjusted EBITDA ever reported. We are pleased to demonstrate our ability to deliver accelerated revenue growth with improved operating profitability, which was made possible by the investments we continue to make in our people and technology. Overall, while we do not expect some of our revenue tailwinds in Q3 to persist, 
such as pent-up demand for deferred care, we do believe that our Q3 results demonstrate our strong and growing value proposition to members as a trusted and convenient healthcare provider and to employer clients as their partner in providing affordable, high-quality care and real-time, practicable solutions to their return-to-work challenges. Lastly, we ended Q3 with a strong balance sheet and liquidity position, with $682.3 million in total cash and short-term marketable securities. We have ample capital to continue to fuel responsible growth and take advantage of potential dislocations in the market. Now, let me take a few minutes to discuss our current outlook and provide 2020 guidance. Coming off of our strong Q3 results, we are raising our membership outlook as we now expect to finish Q4 with a total membership count in the range of 530,000 to 540,000 members. This guidance shows our belief in our strong and growing value proposition to consumers and enterprise customers. Turning to the P&L, we expect to deliver Q4 net revenue in the range of $104 million to $109 million, Q4 care margin in the range of $37 million to $42 million, and Q4 adjusted EBITDA between a loss of $4 million to positive adjusted EBITDA of $1 million. This guidance highlights the continued strong demand we expect for our membership and services, as well as our continued investments as we expand our capacity in existing and new markets. For the full year 2020, our Q4 guidance implies that we will deliver total annual net revenue of approximately $362 million to $367 million, total annual care margin of approximately $132 million to $137 million, and total adjusted EBITDA that approximates a loss of $29 million to a loss of $24 million. We are encouraged by the trends that we see in our business and that are reflected in our guidance and which put us on a path to deliver higher 2020 net revenue and adjusted EBITDA results than we expected pre-COVID, as we shared with you on our earnings call for Q4 2019. At the same time, we also want to acknowledge that uncertainties remain, such as regional differences in COVID-19 incidence rates and associated policies. As the communities that we serve have largely eased their shelter-in-place requirements, our Q4 and full-year 2020 guidance assumes those communities remain open and does not anticipate any new or increased shelter-in-place requirements or behavior. Furthermore, there are several swing factors which could impact our results, such as the evolving policies for employers, schools, and universities, and the timing and amount of demand for flu vaccines, to name a few. These uncertainties will require us to continue to dynamically adapt our business and operations and may potentially also impact our financial results. In closing, we delivered a very strong quarter for financial results in Q3, and we remain focused on executing against the opportunity ahead. I'd like to thank our members, employers, partners, team members, and shareholders for their continued support as we work to improve the way healthcare is delivered one member at a time. We will now open up the call for your questions. Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. In the interest of time, we ask that you limit yourself to one question. Any additional questions, please re-enter the queue. Our first question comes from Lisa Gill of J.P. Morgan. Your line is now open. 
Thanks very much, and good afternoon, Amir and Bjorn. Um, thanks for all the detail. Um, I just really want to understand a couple of things a little bit better based on your comments. Um, one would be around One Medical Now. Uh, can you just remind us uh, how that's accounted for in, in your membership uh, and how we how we think about those services? Uh, you know, again, from a, a revenue perspective, my guess would be that you're not seeing anything there with the enterprise relationship, so that should be coming through on the the net provider side. So just, I want to understand how that, that revenue flows. And then secondly, Bjorn, just to follow up to your comments around the shelter in place and that we saw the pull through in the third quarter and you don't have that anticipation in the fourth quarter, as we continue to see COVID uh, cases rise in, in the U.S., um, have you seen anything change here in the last couple of weeks as around, you know, people coming into office visits, et cetera? Um, are they utilizing more virtual care because of that, or are you still seeing people come into the office? Great, Lisa, thank you. This is Amir, appreciate the questions. Um, so in, in the first part of your question on, on One Medical Now, as, as you may recall, uh, One Medical Now was launched to help employers uh, serve employees uh, in all their markets, uh, whether or not we have a physical presence in those markets. We do not count One Medical Now services as uh, One Medical members, so the membership count we have is encapsulated, uh, it includes just um, uh, our full One Medical members and not our One Medical Now. Uh, any uh, revenues uh, for One Medical Now would be included in our membership uh, revenue. Uh, in, in terms of uh, COVID and what's happening, uh, it, it's certainly hard, hard to speculate uh, what's going to happen. I'd say in general, though, we've been able to uh, see in this quarter kind of great momentum, uh, signing up more employers and consumer members um, across uh, markets. And uh, as you know, employers can turn us on at any point during the year. And so we've seen that momentum. Uh, we certainly see people coming to us for COVID screening and testing, but also for flu vaccines. We're seeing people uh, need, uh, as we mentioned in our prepared remarks, uh, to address their uh, gaps in care, like their immunizations uh, for themselves or their children or their uh, well-person, well-woman care. Uh, so hard to speculate what happens going forward, but we've certainly seen momentum on all those fronts. Thank you. And our next question comes from Daniel Grosslight of City. Your line is now open. Hi, guys. Congrats on the quarter, and thanks for uh, taking the question here. Um, obviously, I think, you know, you guys will – will play a very important role in uh, administering the COVID-19 vaccine when that becomes available. So I'm wondering if there's a way to kind of analogize that to what you guys typically see with the administration of, of the flu vaccine. Um, you know, what percent of your members typically get a flu shot at a one medical facility? And are you able to kind of use um, that as a way to perhaps perform higher acuity visits? Yeah, thank, thank, thank you for the question, Daniel. Um, you know, I think a good uh, analogy here is maybe what we've seen with our Healthy Together uh, COVID services so far, which basically added another proof point to our model. Uh, people always love their on-demand digital health, our in-person care, uh, as well as our testing services. And what we saw with uh, our COVID screening and testing services is people loved how they can get on the app, uh, book an appointment, uh, and come into an office or come to one of our drive-through locations where we would do COVID testing and flu vaccination. So uh, certainly this is uh, the kind of thing that we've been doing, and, and we believe we're well positioned to do the same with the COVID-19 uh, vaccines as they get more um, broadly distributed. Thank you. And our next question comes from George Hill of Deutsche Bank. Your line is now open. Um, hey, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Amir, I guess my question is, is it too early to start talking about the selling season for 1121 to employer sponsor customers? And I guess just as a follow-up to that, could you talk a little bit about how the individual market uh, over the last three months has responded to the COVID crisis uh, and the mix of people coming in looking for alternatives to the normal white primary care channel? Yeah, George, thanks for the question. 
Um, one of the nice thing about our model is that we can sign up members, be they consumer members or enterprise members, at any point in the year. And, and we've certainly seen that in 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 this quarter and, and other quarters. Uh, we're in network with insurance plans, and we're easy to roll out. So employers can roll us out. So in, in that regard, it's it's less of a selling uh, season uh, than us being able to roll out at any time. Um, and certainly in the individual marketplace, of course, the same thing. Uh, we are in network in the major insurance plans, so consumers can and do uh, sign up at any point. So that that is a nice feature about our benefit that it does not need to be rolled out in, in open enrollment, but can be rolled out uh, at any point throughout the year. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from Ricky Goldweiser, Morgan Stanley. Your line is set open. Yeah, hi. Good afternoon. Uh, I have a quick follow-up on that one and, and, and my, my real question. So just when, when we think about this membership, I mean, clearly you meaningfully exceeded uh, membership growth um, targets. So are, are, just to clarify, are these clients that you that were planning to start maybe in January, and to your point, Amir, they can start whenever they, they opt to maybe access um, the service um, ahead of schedule? Um, or, or should we sort of continue to, to model this additional step up in one queue? And then my second question, my real question is around the flu. We talked about flu being a big contributor. Um, from just kind of like hearing from, from, from others in the marketplace, it sounds like there was this pent up demand for flu vaccine. So how much uh, flu vaccine are you assuming in the, in the fourth quarter, um, in comparison? Yeah, Ricky, thank you for the great questions. Uh, I, I think on the first question in, in terms of the Q3 membership growth, you know, we've continued to see both the consumer and enter, enterprise membership grow each quarter. Um, so um, it's, it's hard to say if it's uh, pulled forward or not. We've just continued to see great traction with employers. And, and frankly, we've always seen in the past uh, the fact that we can – sell at any given point in time um, and uh, certainly um, can turn on the benefit at any point in time. So um, in, in terms of the membership, we continue to believe we can we can sell quarter in, quarter out, and, and continue to see uh, continued growth there. Uh, in, in terms of the flu, um, we certainly have always been involved and engaged in flu vaccination uh, efforts uh, for uh, consumers and employers. So at some level, while there's great enthusiasm in that this year, it, it isn't actually a new thing to us. It's things we've uh, we've done in the past. Um, and as you know, our um, revenue model has both uh, membership-based revenue and, and partnership-based per member per month revenue, as well as patient services revenues. And so um, that kind of uh, flu vaccine uh, revenue can flow in, in, in different places, and there may be puts and takes on that in general. But uh, we, we anticipate we will continue to uh, vaccinate folks and, and in due time uh, look to the COVID-19 vaccination as that becomes readily available. Thank you. And our next question comes from Sean Wallen at Piper Stanley. Your line is now open. Hi, thank you. And I, I just want to keep digging a little bit on this, on the, the strong uh, membership count. Um, I, can you give us a sense? Was it uh, did it lean more direct to consumer versus employer? Did it lean more new market versus existing? Um, how many of the temporary members that you've had that didn't count towards members convert over to uh, paying members? Just any kind of context you can give would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Sean. I appreciate that. You know, I, I think one thing to point out is we did sign up members uh, across a range of different enterprise um, uh, categories uh, this this time period, including in education. Uh, and, you know, that's including in uh, kind of middle and high school as well as higher education and universities. So that is um, – uh, a, a unique thing that that we've seen, and, and we'll continue to 
to take a look at. Um, but otherwise, we saw growth across uh, different uh, employer categories, um, financial services, entertainment, commerce, media, real estate, biotech, hospitality, uh, nonprofit. Um, and so um, seeing that, you know, across the country and, and, and um, across the accounts, we, we also see that our model can not only support kind of these traditional enterprise accounts and consumers, but, but an interesting model to support schools, whether it's faculty, staff, students, whether it's screening and testing, uh, flu shots, thinking about allergies, asthma, uh, behavioral health, and, and all of these, these host of other common conditions that our model uh, serves really well. Um, I'd say the, the other thing, too, is we're seeing uptake uh, in new clients uh, faster than uh, maybe historically. Um, again, our model is easy to roll out, um, and uh, we're seeing great uptake. Um, so those are uh, some things that we've noticed in, in Q3. All right. That's super helpful. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from Sandy Draper of Chua Securities. Your line is to open. Uh, thanks so much. And uh, also, I my congrats on a really strong quarter. So I'll sort of uh, pick at the one thing that, that – metric that didn't look as strong, and so I'd love some comment, uh, either Amir or Bjorn, um, on the membership revenue and sort of the implied per member uh, revenue on membership. That that didn't – obviously, members grew a ton, but you didn't see quite the same level of, at least on a sequential basis, the type of growth in membership re- revenue. So just wanted any any color on what, what drives uh, – what drove that. That would be great. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for for the question. And, and um, yeah, as you think about that uh, revenue line, I'll take you back to one of the things that Amir said earlier today, which is our membership count does not include, among other things, uh, short-term um, short-term contracts. Where frankly, oftentimes uh, companies came in and said, "Hey, I need somebody to keep my employees healthy for a month or two until I figure this out." Um, and uh, you know, as Amir discussed earlier today, the revenues of this was sort of recorded in that membership revenue line. So, uh, you know, as frankly, some of those, uh, I would call it more transactional customers, um, decided that, uh, you know, a, uh, the, the pandemic is going on too long and uh, they wanted to, uh, they, they stopped testing or, or stopped some of our uh, services you see that sort of flows through that line, and, and, and therefore you see a little bit of a, uh, of a different trend in that line, although we are still very, very uh, um, you know, bullish, obviously, on what we've been able to deliver. I mean, um, you know, we've seen a very strong uptick, and we're very pleased with our financial results, but uh, that's why the quarter-over-quarter comparison on this particular line um, you know, shows a little bit of fluctuation. Great. That, that's really helpful commentary. appreciate it. Thank you. And our next question comes from Jalen Singh of Credit Suisse. Jalen, is that open? Thank you, and congrats on the good quarter. I want to talk about your health system partnership because I believe that's a very critical part of the story here. Uh, you guys signed some partnership in Q3. Given variability around utilization and the mix of utilization, have you seen any changes, changes in the economics, pricing, or the way these contracts are being structured versus what they have been historically and a quick related clarification. So you have partnership in all the markets you currently have presence. When we think about 17 markets, you will be in next year uh, in terms of timing. How should we think about you guys locking down new partners in, in those markets? Joandra, thank you so much. Thanks for the question. Uh, maybe starting with the, the, the latter part of your question first, uh, we have uh, – partners and announced partners in all of our markets, including uh, the new market. So all 17 markets, we will have 100% uh, partnerships. And and I think really speaking to the first part of your question, uh, we think our partnership model is as strong or stronger than ever um, and is very compelling all the way around. Uh, certainly for uh, our members, we are coordinating care across primary and specialty care, owning the complexity of care, of navigating care, avoiding duplicative testing, sharing medical records across multiple systems. Employers like this because they want their employees, frankly, productive and working, not waiting a long time. Um, And our model 
uh, to navigate those patients. And also, frankly, we show, as per the JAMA study, about 40 50% lower referrals uh, because we can handle so much more in our, in our, in our primary uh, care model. Uh, for our partners, it's compelling because they're seeing that we could be a more expeditious, efficient, um, and effective way for them to build a network. Um, and certainly we have our differentiated model uh, with our membership and our technology as well as our in-person care uh, that connects directly to employers. So I, I think at some level that's um, maybe more compelling than ever as uh, health uh, systems look to develop uh, relationships with employers, look to advance digital health, uh, look to grow consumerism. Uh, so uh, we feel very good about the uh, strength of those uh, of those models. Okay, thanks. Thank you. And our next question comes from Richard Close of Pinnacle Genuity. Your line is now open. Excellent. Uh, thank you. Congratulations. Um, obviously, positive member growth here. Uh, were there any headwinds in the quarters from layoffs that you overcame? Any thoughts on that um, going forward as well? Thank you, Richard. Uh, well, certainly in our projections, we um, take into consideration kind of any uh, macro factors that might might be there. And so we feel, you know, very uh, good about our uh, performance, and uh, we've put forward increased guidance uh, for the next quarter and upped our guidance for the year. Um, so we feel uh, good about those projections. Um, but, but certainly there's uncertainties out there, and, and we'll have to keep our eye out on those. Okay, and then as a follow-up, uh, Bjorn, um, you know, obviously great improvement in terms of the adjusted EBITDA. Um, and maybe any thoughts on if, if you're um, reiterating the timeline to profitability, um, and if you could just uh, give us an update on that when you're expecting to cross over. Yeah, absolutely, and um, you know, we are obviously very pleased um, to uh, deliver the strong care margin and the adjusted EBITDA that, that we had in this quarter, uh, both of which were the highest quarterly margins that we've, we've been able to report to date. Um, and, um, you know, as I think about our Q4 guidance, both a little bit back to your earlier question, actually, on the membership and also on the EBITDA side, it obviously incorporates everything that we know today. And, yeah, as you know, we uh, serve a range of different industries. We serve a range of different geographies, um, you know, including the not-for-profit sector, uh, including uh, manufacturing, including you know, services. And um, uh, so uh, we feel like we are we are pretty well diversified on 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 that front. And um, again, everything we we can see so far is is sort of implemented and part of our Q4 guidance. And frankly, the same applies to our EBITDA guidance or our adjusted EBITDA guidance for Q4 of 2020. Um, as I'm sort of thinking beyond that, um, you know, there are a couple of things that I would like to point out. Obviously, some of the revenue tailwinds that we talked about on the call in Q3, uh, we don't necessarily expect them to persist. For example, the pent-up demand for deferred care that we talked about. Um, and uh, at the same time, we're also going to keep uh, growing and investing in our business. Um, you know, you've, you, you know that we've announced five new markets for next year, and we'll continue to invest uh, in our technology and in our physical footprint, um, both in those five new markets as well as in our existing markets. So generally speaking, we continue to believe that we'll reach sort of sustained, adjusted EBITDA break-even around year end 22. Okay, thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. And our next question comes from Ryan Daniels of William Blair. Your line is now open. Yeah, thanks for taking the questions, and congrats on a great quarter. Um, wanted to go back to some of the commentary you mentioned on the preventive care campaigns. Now, I know the organization is constantly innovating and always does these type of campaigns, but I'm curious if that was more of a focus in this quarter given the pandemic and, you know, some of the gaps in care that probably emerged earlier in the year with people not getting the preventive care they needed. So, number one, that's a question. And number two, 
you know, anything new that you're doing on the analytic front or, or data management front to enable you to better screen these patients and to determine uh, what type of care gaps they might have. Thank you. Ryan, thank you for the question. So uh, a, a number of points. You're absolutely correct. We, we have always done population health and always leveraged our technology to analyze our members and to reach out. But we're always advancing those analytic models, including our machine learning models, uh, which increasingly are kind of on their own analyzing the gaps in care and then um, in, in many cases are uh, have automated follow-up um, in, in those gaps to uh, help close those. So we absolutely have been advancing our technology uh, to do that kind of in a more automated fashion. Uh, and, and because we have this very high membership engagement, and frankly, because we have the membership model, we have members engaged in our technology uh, to follow up. Now, we, we certainly saw, I'll say, some uh, rising gaps uh, during a lot of the shelter-in-place where people put off routine care like uh, pap smears or immunizations or other uh, well-person care uh, or chronic disease care. So certainly um, we saw some widening, if you will, of gaps in care that, that we closed. So it was a combination of deferred care, advancing our population health, and advancing our, our technology to be able to do that in automated fashion. Great. Thank you for the color. Thank you. And our next question comes from Matthew Gilmore-Baird. Your line is now open. Hey, thanks. Um, Amir talked about a greater diversity in, in the types of new employer clients that you're bringing on board. I, I was curious if the buying decision for these new employer clients is any different than some of the legacy clients, and, and in particular, if some of the saving studies like JAMA was having any impact on the decision-making uh, for these newer clients. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. Um, you know, I, I think we just continue to add proof points to the model, uh, kind of more and more reasons to purchase. So certainly the JAMA article was a seminal article, not just for us, but in primary care and our model of primary care, showing this 45% reduction in cost. So that is certainly uh, compelling to employers who, you know, across economic cycles are saying, hey, how can I better manage my health benefits? Here's a model that does that. Uh, certainly things like uh, our Healthy Together for COVID screening and reentry uh, has been powerful, um, and testing and vaccinating, uh, including for educational institutions and other that, uh, others that are trying to reopen manufacturing. Um, so those are compelling. Um, for some, it's been also integration of medical and behavioral with our mindset um, uh, behavioral health programs integrated into primary care. Uh, for others, it's been One Medical Now adds incremental uh, benefits uh, such that uh, a multi-geography employer can turn on uh, the One Medical uh, uh, program with kind of a semblance of benefits parity across the country with everybody having access to that on-demand digital health. So uh, um, we've also, as I mentioned in my remarks, added more of our asynchronous uh, on-demand capability, things like new prescriptions, addressing uh, sexual health uh, conditions or allergies, just making it easier for more members to access us. Uh, and as for the prior question, adding more population health capabilities. So we continue to nudge people, follow up with them, um, assist them in, 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 in living healthy, uh, healthier lives. So all of these um, uh, continued advancements in our benefits just give more and more reasons or more and more proof points uh, for in employers and other institutions to join and for consumers uh, to continue to join. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And our next question comes from Stephen Tannelis, SCB Learning. The line is now open. Good afternoon, guys. Thank you for taking the question. I just want to make sure uh, I understand sort of the moving pieces between that patient service revenue and, and partnership revenue. And so if we kind of look at those amounts per average member, on the net patient service side, it was down just about 7% year on year, which would be the smallest decline we've seen going back years, despite that shift that's been playing out. So I guess my question would be, how much room is there to drive that metric up? And, and more specifically, in what ways kind of paying heed to the fact that the hospital partnerships are in place now covering most markets and um, any color on maybe what you think the amount of toll forward revenue in that number 
Bjorn, that you just mentioned would be helpful as well. And kind of conversely on the partnership side, just thinking about that same per member metric, are we at a run rate now that 100% of members are covered by partnerships, or does that could that actually go higher still? Yeah, great, uh, great questions. Um, yeah, when you take a step back, as you know, um, yeah, our health network partners tend to pay us in one of two ways. Uh, they are either continuing to pay us on a fee-for-service basis or they pay us a fixed PMPM, a fixed per member per month basis. And, um, yeah, they're all structured a little, little bit differently each from each other, but broad picture-wise, uh, picture those are the two models. And um, what we've seen in Q3, um, frankly, as a result, among other things, of uh, us entering into a health network partnership in uh, Washington, D.C., um, yeah, that was sort of the remaining membership that we had that was not covered under a health network partnership. So, and, yeah, uh, in, in this particular market, for example, we are getting paid on a PMPM basis. So what that does to our, what that does to our, um, revenue basis is it sort of moves revenue out from the net patient service revenue line item into the partnership revenue line item. And given that we now have 100% of our membership covered under those health network partners, um, really other than, if you want to put it that way, sort of the, the, the annualization or the quarterization of that one mix shift in between the quarter, we do think we are at the end of, of that secular shift. Um, so, uh, you know, really from here on out, if you see shifts in between those two line items, uh, it's really a question of mix shift in between geographies, and then, as I said, you know, each individual um, relationship, uh, you know, has its own separate ins and outs. But big picture-wise, really, we're at the end of that shift, and, and we are now, uh, you know, if you now see a shift, it's going to be driven by uh, by uh, relative change in geographic mix for the most part. Great, and just the patient service side as well, Bjorn. Yeah, so the net patient service revenue is obviously the offset of that, right? So to the extent that we have uh, uh, in the past had uh, health system partnerships that we signed up, um, you know, we took revenue out of the out of the net patient service revenue side into the uh, the uh, partnership revenue line item. Um, now, again, if we keep growing in some of our markets, where we keep being paid on a fee for service basis, obviously that line item will continue to grow, and we're obviously looking to grow in all of our markets, including in our fee-for-service markets. Um, and then, um, yeah, those are really sort of the, the, the big-picture items. So I, I really expect, frankly, both line items to uh, continue to contribute to uh, our growth here as we uh, laid out for our Q4 uh, revenue guidance. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude our question answer session. I would now like to turn the call back over to Mr. Rubin for any further remarks. Well, thank you. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us in uh, the call today for uh, your great questions uh, into our model and for uh, engaging with us in transforming healthcare. So uh, have a great day, and we look forward to the next occasion. Be well, everybody. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Bye.